to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another day of the Truth In My Days apologetics program. My name is Moses, and I'm here with John, Director of Truth In My Days Ministries. Our topic today is answering the claims that there are scientific errors in the Bible. Last time, we looked at a claim made by skeptics that the Bible says the earth is flat. And upon closer inspection, we actually see the Bible seems to suggest that the earth is in fact spherical. After answering that claim, we were in the midst of answering the claim that the earth is fixed in space and is the center of the universe, when our time unfortunately ran out. Today, we continue that discussion. And I don't think you need to read too far, as long as you're paying attention, to realize that not be moved does not refer to being fixed forever uh, in one spatial location. It means continuing in the way God intends, not stumbling, not slipping, not moving away from where you should be as you move through life. And it's very obvious as you read the, the Psalms and the context of those statements that that's what not be moved means. When God created the world, he had a purpose for it, and it will not deviate from that purpose. That's what's being said here. And you really, you shouldn't have to know Hebrew to figure that out. You just have to pay attention to the way the Bible uses this expression throughout. Uh, as I said, that's a key tool in exegesis, which is correctly bringing out the meaning of the text. And the same thing would happen when you look up the usage of a stab. So neither of these, none of these passages is talking about the earth being fixed in one spatial location. Hmm. I know there's another biblical tool where we're not supposed to set scripture against scripture, but I do have to ask about the other claim. The Bible says the sun goes around the earth. And here's the passage where I am about to set against the previous scripture that you've stated. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1.5, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Or Psalm 19.6, its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Don't these passages indicate that the writers thought the sun travels around the earth? Well, some people say so. It's again a charge brought against the Bible. And the usual answer uh, given by our apologists is that the Bible is here using what they call phenomenological language. That is, describing things the way they appear rather than the way they really are. Let's say, for example, uh, weathermen today on TV will do the same thing. They will talk about the sun will rise today at 6.07 a.m. And they're saying, see, the weatherman knows perfectly well that the earth is going around the sun, but he still speaks of sunrise. It's just phenomenological language. Uh, So what they seem to be saying, though, to me is that, yes, technically what's being said here is wrong, uh, but it's okay as long as it's widely done and we understand that that's what's being done. For me, I find that actually quite a problematic response to this. I would agree with you. Uh, I prefer to stick by fact. And I guess I do want to make sure that all scripture aligns in one way. So then how should we see this? On this one, the problem is not one of exegesis. What it is, is actually a poor understanding of science. Uh, Let me illustrate. Suppose I'm sitting on a park bench, Moses, and you come running past me. Which one of us is still and which one is moving? Well, of course, uh, I'm moving and you're still. 
Suppose I'm sitting in a parked car and you come zipping by me in your car at 60 kilometers per hour. Who is moving and who is still? Again, that would be me. And you're the one who's still. You would think so. And everyone would reasonably agree. But I could point out that that is incorrect. Sorry, what do you mean? How is that incorrect? If I'm sitting on a park bench or in a parked car, I'm not actually still. Because I'm on the surface of the earth, held on by gravity, and the earth is rotating and carrying me along with it quite fast. The speed here in Toronto would be 237.3 meters every single second. And you too. So actually, I'd be moving at 237.3 meters per second, and you running at 10 meters per second would be moving at 247.3 meters per second, assuming you're running in the direction of the rotation. If you're running the other way, it will look like you're running 10 meters per second away from me, but in fact, I'm moving faster than you are. I'm moving at 237.3 meters per second. You're moving 227.3 meters per second. So here's the thing. I'm not actually still. I'm being carried along by the earth. And that's not all. The earth is also moving around the sun at a speed of almost 30,000 meters per second. So I'm really moving pretty fast. I'm not still. And then the entire solar system is moving through the galaxy at more than 20,000 meters per second. Mm. Well, that is technically true, though very cumbersome. I don't know how many people would actually think about that if it wasn't pointed out to them. So then is it wrong to say that a chap on the park bench, in this case, you, is still and I'm moving when I'm running past him? Uh, no, it's actually not wrong at all. The point I'm bringing up is that, in fact, all motion is relative. Uh, that is, the motion of one object is relative to that of another object. Uh, which object in the universe is the one that's actually not moving? Well, unless we can stand outside the universe and look in, and we can't because we're part of the universe, we don't know. We can't absolutely say what is the still point and what is moving. All we can do is describe relative motion, how one object moves relative to another. And to do that, we have to pick what we call the still point. That is, we have to pick the object that we take to be stationary for the purpose of describing motion relative to it. All, all scientists do that, physicists do that. They know the, you're on the surface of the Earth and you're moving at 237.3 meters per second, but it's matter. They still talk about you running 10 meters per second past and me sitting still because you can pick anything you want to be your frame of reference, your still point, and describe all motion relative to it. Uh, so in that point, uh, in that, that case, okay, when we say the Earth moves around the sun, okay, the heliocentric model, well, that, that's absolutely correct. If your still point is the sun. Okay? If you're sitting on the surface of the sun, well, you vaporized long before you got there, but uh, if you could, you'd see these planets moving around you in nice big circles, not exactly circles. Or if you're, you're, you're uh, hanging in space outside the solar system, you know, the sun would look still and these things are moving around it. But we can just as legitimately pick the earth as our still point a frame of reference. And that's what the Bible does. And it makes sense because all the action that happens with which the Bible is concerned is in fact on happening on the earth. So you can pick the earth to be your still point. You can describe all motion relative to it. And if you do that, then guess what? The sun does move around the earth. It's perfectly correct scientifically to describe it as such.
all depends on what you pick as your still point. That is actually a very good point. Um, I've never thought of it that way, to be honest. I wonder if other people would think of it that way, but it clearly, from what you're suggesting, it seems like the Bible is speaking from the point of the earth. And hence, it makes sense as to the earth being the still point. Hmm. Let's move on to zoology now then. In the law of Moses, uh, given in Leviticus, there are various dietary laws. In Leviticus 11, 13 to 19 is a list and basically talks about a list of things that you can eat and cannot eat. Um, and I'm just going to read out the portion that's relevant. These you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. It includes birds such as eagles, vultures, the buzzard, the kite, the falcon, raven, and some others. But the last one on this list is the bat. Now that, we're told, is certainly an error. The bat is a mammal. It's not a bird. We all know this now. Skeptics just love to point this out to us all the time. Uh, yeah, they, they do love to point it out, but it isn't really an error. Why not? Well, we've seen one error due to poor exegesis. We've seen one due to poor knowledge of science. Uh, the third category I mentioned, and this is an example of it, uh, the apparent error stems from a translation issue. Uh, now, you see, Western science has spent a long time creating a very detailed system of classifying animals into different groups. And how did we do that? What did we choose as the dividing point among the different groups? Well, we, we had a bunch of characteristics like cold-blooded versus warm-blooded, uh, backbone versus no backbone. These are all good ways to divide them. Uh, by the definitions that we use, uh, a bird is a warm-blooded vertebrate with a beak, feathers, and wings. Uh, is oviparous, which means it lays eggs. Uh, most, but not all of them, can fly. And by this definition, a bat is certainly not a bird. It does not have a beak. It does not have feathers. It's not oviparous. And so by our definition, it doesn't uh, fit into the category of bird. But Leviticus does not, in fact, group bats with birds. Now, Leviticus is written in Hebrew, not in English. And the Hebrews classified animals differently from how we do it. Uh, and they're perfectly within their rights to do it. People do not have to pick the same kind of uh, characteristics to divide among them that we do. Uh, generally, uh, as translated into English, the Hebrews recognize cattle, beasts of the field, creeping things, swarming creatures, fish of the sea, and birds of the air. And again, they're perfectly uh, within their rights to do it that way. Uh, but this means then that their classifications do not correspond precisely to our classifications. Uh, the Hebrew word sheretz, for example, which is translated as creeping thing, uh, includes both reptiles and insects, because the Hebrews were more interested in what these creatures did rather than the internal structure. So reptiles, lizards, snakes, and insects as well creep along the ground. So they classified them both as sheretz, creeping things. Uh, with that understanding now, that they have their own classification system, and you have to look, if you want an actual error, it has to be in the original language. If we go back to Leviticus 11.13, uh, it doesn't say, these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. What it actually says is, these you shall regard as an abomination among the of, uh, of being the Hebrew word there. They shall not be eaten. 
what does the word of mean? Well, literally, it means the owner of a wing. And we usually do translate it as bird because of all our English terms, single terms, that's the one that comes closest to covering the same semantic range as the Hebrew word of. But it's not an exact overlap. And, and you have that uh, problem anytime you're translating from one language to another. Uh, the noun often does not exactly match, uh, include everything in the noun that you pick in the target language, as in the source language. Uh, Hebrew of, yes, we translate to English as bird, but it's not an exact overlap. All that's required to be in the category of of is to be the owner of a wing and, and not fitting into the uh, insect category, the charrettes category. Uh, the bat is definitely not a bird, but the bat is an of. And that is what the God-breathed Hebrew text says. It says the bat is an off. And that's why, folks, there is no error here. There is the problem that uh, we didn't translate it exactly. And in so doing, we created an error in the English Bible. That's not there in the original Hebrew. John, thank you so much for that information. It looks like we've run out of time for today's program, but we'll pick it up tomorrow. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. <laughs>